Welcome to the Book of Nehemiah. We're very excited this year to uh, to teach this book, and I'm I'm particularly excited because I have never taught this book. I have listened to Jeff teach it. I've listened to uh, pastors' conferences teach it, but I have never done it. So this is an adventure for me, also. But uh, how many of you ever read the Book of Nehemiah? Well, good, good. So for some of you, this will be okay. I want to dig into it a little bit more. Some of you are going, okay, what's the book of Nehemiah? But we are in for a treat. Uh, This is one of the most encouraging and informative books in the Old Testament. So before we get into the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are excited to see what you have for us this year. Father, there's so many nuggets in this book, and it is so encouraging. And so I would ask as we go through this that you would just anoint these times of getting into your word, that we would truly understand what you are trying to tell us in this wonderful book. And so we give you this evening, we ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, when did these events in Nehemiah happen? Well, sometime between 454 and 433 B.C. That's like before Christ, so that's a long time ago. Um, It took place in Babylon and Jerusalem. And who wrote Nehemiah? Nehemiah. So... (laughs) So I think this was kind of like a story he told about his experiences in rebuilding Jerusalem. So the history leading up to the book of Nehemiah is, um, just so you understand the time in history when this book was written, uh, let's look at some of the other bigger events that took place in Jewish history. Uh, This happened after Abraham, after Moses, after Saul, after King David, after King Solomon, after Daniel, after all of these guys. And that's when uh, things began to kind of go crazy for the children of Israel because they kept being disobedient. Um, In 931 BC, that's when uh, God began to have to chastised them because they kept being naughty. And so uh, they began to disobey God's words. And God sent numerous prophets, numerous judges to speak to the people, and they still wouldn't repent. And so he did just about everything short of catastrophes, and still they didn't repent. And uh, they still chose pagan practices. And we kind of get a a taste for what was going on in first and second kings alone, we hear the phrase regarding the rulers of Israel, and the people just kind of followed the rulers, but it says, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord 30 times. You hear that. So each time there was a new ruler, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord would take him out, and then they would get a new leader. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. God would take him out. Next ruler. I mean, this went on like forever, and they still didn't get it. Therefore, because of their rebellion of the, of the Jewish people, God allowed them to be conquered by other kingdoms. After warning, after warning, after warning, and God was so patient, he was patient with them for 300 years, and then finally said, all right, you guys just aren't listening, so guess what? I'm going to let other people conquer you. I'm going to let them take over. Isn't that kind of what happens to us in our own sinful lives? You know, finally God will say, okay, you want the world, 
I'll let you get a taste of it, and then I'll take you back after you've said, please take me back. So, um, so first, he, they were captured by the Babylonians in 605 B.C., then to the Persians in 539 B.C. And just so you, um, you're wondering if I'm going backwards, I am, because in B.C. It, is, it goes backwards. The numbers go backwards. Always confuses me when I'm trying to figure out uh, dates and stuff. But anyway, that's how the, the Old Testament works. And then in the Greeks, they, that was 331 B.C. And then, of course, lastly, the Romans was during Jesus' time. And it was during the Persians' rule that this story takes place. So our king character, excuse me, well, he is a king, but key character was King Arxerxes. And although he was a Persian, he lived in Babylonia, which today is in modern Iraq. And so this king came into rule through kind of uh, mysterious circumstances, his father, King Xerxes, was murdered by his commander of the guard named Artabanus. But the commander accused Prince Artaxerxes' older brother, Prince Darius, of being the mastermind behind the assassination, which was actually, as it turned out, a lie. So, but of course, Artaxerxes, he didn't know that, so he killed his brother because he thought his brother killed his dad, and then he took the throne. And then, of course, Artabanus, you remember that, that bad uh, commander of the guard, he got his comeuppance, though, because he would eventually try to take over the kingdom himself and got himself killed by King Artaxerxes. So, you know, that was kind of, uh, you know, a lot of intrigue in the, the king's household. But as, as it turned out, King Artaxerxes proved to be a very good ruler. He was known for being kind and fair. He was influenced by a lot of the gods that uh, the Persian people conquered. Um, the, you know, every, every pe- peoples that they conquered, they would all bring in their own religions, their own gods. So he kind of had like a smorgasbord of all these gods that he would worship. And one of them was the Jewish god. But, you know, he kind of revered the Jewish god a little bit more because he showed a lot more kindness to the Jewish people. And one way his kindness was shown was through the decree that he made for the people of Jerusalem. And he allowed Ezra who is also in the Bible. It's the book right before Nehemiah. He allowed Ezra to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And he allowed many Jews to go back to their home and even assisted them in their journey and the rebuilding of the temple, which you can read about in in the book of Ezra. But he also returned the treasures that had been taken from the temple under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you probably remember him. He's from that book of Daniel. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar's the one that had the dreams and all that kind of stuff. And if you're coming to Sunday night, uh, Jeff is teaching the book of Daniel, and we're talking about this very thing. So anyway, King Nebuchadnezzar had stolen all the gold and the treasures and the artifacts from the temple and took him to his house, and King Artaxerxes returned it. So he really is kind of a nice guy. So let's look at Nehemiah now, our other character in this story. So by the time the Jewish people had been integrated into the Persian Empire, or by this time they were, and according to history, Nehemiah was born in Babylon, 
he was Jewish, and he was a servant or a cupbearer to the king. Now, a cupbearer was an officer of high rank in the royal courts as far as servants go. Um, he was kind of like a glorified butler. And because of the constant fear of plots and intrigues, as we found out before, with regards to the king's dad and how he was killed, uh, the cupbearer must be regarded as completely trustworthy, and he um, had to sample oftentimes the wines brought to the king because people were always trying to poison the king. So, you know, the poor guy never knew when he was just going to die. You know, it must have been. A, I mean, you don't go to work thinking, oh, I might die today at work. But that, that was the life of, of uh, Nehemiah. So anyway, so that is our two main characters. Of course, we have a lot of other characters that come into the book of Nehemiah. Um, we have good guys, bad guys, but um, it, it's, these are our main two characters, especially at the beginning. But the thing I didn't know about Nehemiah was the prophecies concerning Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And this is where it gets exciting. Uh, the chief prophecy is found in Daniel chapter 9. And to set the stage, Daniel had been praying and confessing his sin and the sin of the people because, you know, they'd been naughty and now they were in captivity. And finally, the angel Gabriel came to him and gave him this prophecy. And if you want to look it up, it's in Daniel 9. We're going to read 24 through 26. And it says, A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion. Remember, they were being bad. And to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. So, in this first section, the it talks about this 70 sets of seven. Now, in order to get the math right here for all you little math wizard, wizards out there, um, it actually is 49 years because uh, one week equals, uh, well, one day equals a year. And so um, what we have is 49 years has passed, and the decree from Artaxerxes to have Jerusalem rebuilt will go out. <clears throat> now, bear with me. This makes sense when you hear it at the end. <coughs> and so it is widely believed that the year the decree went out was 445. And, of course, God had something to do with the timing of all of, of, all of this. And then it continues in Daniel. Now, listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass. It sounds like an algebra class, right? <laughs> From the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. So now we have our next set of weeks. So 62 sevens, or when you figure it all out mathematically, it's 434 years before the anointed one comes after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And, of course, they're using a Jewish calendar just to really confuse us. But the scholars have figured it all out, and the year came out to be 30 A.D., Anybody know what happened in 30 A.D.? 
Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Isn't that fascinating? Exactly what Daniel had written down. That is so encouraging for me. And Jesus made that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And what happened after that? Well, you know what? Daniel tells us. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. So what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. And it looked like it was the end. It looked like he accomplished nothing. The people thought that Jesus was supposed to be that 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 Messiah that conquers the Romans and frees the Jewish people, they got it all wrong, didn't they? He was going to come and free them from their sin, but they didn't want that. And so they rejected him, of course. But isn't that fascinating that Daniel had actually written down this prophecy? That is why Nehemiah is so important, because the temple was built, or excuse me, Jerusalem was rebuilt, and then it was the exact time 434 years later that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, as the prophecy foretold. And it is one of the most astounding uh, messianic prophecies. And this is one of the prophecies that actually um, brings a lot of Jewish people to Christ, because they start looking at this and they're going, oh my goodness, how could we have not seen it? Our eyes must have been blinded. But that prophecy begins the timeline here we have, if you're interested in these kind of things, here's our timeline. Um, when Jerusalem was rebuilt, the prophecy of the coming Messiah began. And there's a, actually a whole lot more to this prophecy from Daniel because he actually goes into the tribulation, uh, the, coming, the second coming of Christ, and all that. And so it's pretty fascinating. And I'm going to do a shameless plug for Sunday night. If you want to know more, you've got to come to Sunday night. So... Um, <laughs> But there's so much more, though, to the book of Nehemiah. Um, and <clears throat> the reason why I, I picked the title Restored for our, um, our theme is because this book is one that shows the importance of restoration. Um, restoration of what? You know, everything. Whatever is broken in your life, God is the answer to restoring what has been taken from you. I mean, your lives, relationships, marriages, prodigals, restores your hope, restores your faith, restores everything. You see, Nehemiah was faced with an impossible task, and sometimes we are faced with what seems to be an impossible task. I mean, here was a, a servant in the house of the king, he finds out that his beloved city, Jerusalem, is still lying in ruins, and he just, he, he becomes bold because the Lord gives him boldness. He goes before the king and says, I want to rebuild Jerusalem. And the king says, okay, you know, I mean, how is that supposed to happen? It doesn't, does it? But God, God in the midst of that, he makes it happen, doesn't he? He impresses upon the hearts and the minds of even the hardest people. And so he'd been working on Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, um, King Artaxerxes from the very beginning, just softening his heart towards the Jewish people. But Nehemiah was just a normal guy asked to do an extraordinary thing. 
and he restored something very important. And God can restore those things in our lives which have crumbled. One of my favorite promises is found in Joel 2, 25 and 26. And he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, and my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dwelt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. So there's a wonderful promise in this book. See, the people had been rebellious again, go figure, and God, in order to get them to repent, he sent locusts. Now, locusts are like these giant grasshoppers, and they're kind of creepy, actually, and they eat everything. Uh, the Mideast, they still have trouble with locusts. And so um, what they would do is they'd come in and eat everything that was green. I mean, that meant all the crops, all the wheat, everything. They just mowed it all down. And so nothing was left for the Jewish people. They were starving. But God did that to get their attention because they were going wayward again. They had been rebellious, and God said, repent of your evil ways. And they did repent. And so the promise was that when you repent, when you come back to me, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That's what God does for us. When we've gone our own way, maybe fallen into sin, God restores us. He might let us have a few uncomfortable moments, amen? I know I've had a few uncomfortable uh, moments. I like to call those spankings. Uh, Yeah, God gave me a good spanking. Uh, My mom used to call it a whooping. (laughs) She's from the South. So... um, But, uh, you know, you get those whoopings from the Lord, and they're not a lot of fun. But you know what? It does the job, doesn't it? And oftentimes God will let me say, okay, you want that so bad, here you go. I'll give it to you. And then you go, okay, maybe I was wrong. I was following after my own way. And then God says, okay, welcome back. I'm glad to have you back. Now our relationship has been restored. And so uh, every time the, the Jewish people would flounder, God would take them back after they repented. That God is so good that way, isn't he? And God always promises to restore and heal. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I love that. Oftentimes you see that in, in uh, uh, government and stuff like that because it's such a powerful uh, verse for that type of thing. But sometimes we'll ha- God will have to destroy things in our lives in order f- for us to repent and turn back to him. Then he can begin that healing process, and he promises to heal that restoration process. Psalms 103, 11 and 12 says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So when we have blown it, when we have wandered away from the Lord, when we have sinned, when we come back to him, when we confess to him, 
this is what he promises to do. I don't remember it anymore. I am bringing you with open arms. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to remind you, you know, every day about how bad you were. I'm just going to forget everything, and we now have a clean slate. That is the God whom we serve. Isn't that wonderful? See, God is a God of restoration. That's why he sent a son, I mean, in the first place, so that we could be reconciled or reunited with him. So wrapping up, you know, sometimes restoration is hard work. And we will see that in the book of Nehemiah. Poor guy, he had opposition. He had to deal with disgruntled people. Uh, There was more uh, intrigue and people trying to subvert. Uh, We will see threats. There was even a threat of, of killing him. But you know what? We'll also see a lot of victory. We'll see a lot of compassion. We'll see a lot of reconciliation with the people. We'll see patience. And, you know, all those attributes of a godly person that we can glean from. And when we have that restoration with our Lord, it is then that we can honestly say what our theme verse says. And it's found in Nehemiah 8.10. He says, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what he was encouraging the people when they got tired. says, this is just too hard. We can't rebuild Jerusalem. He's saying, don't be sad. God's got this. He's the one that has anointed this time to rebuild Jerusalem. The clock needs to start ticking to bring in the Messiah. So when you're going through difficult times, please know that your heavenly Father knows what you're going through. And everything he does is for a purpose. And sometimes we forget about that, don't we? When we're in the midst of all those trials and tribulations, we forget that God only wants the best for us. So just hang in there and know that that purpose is to bring you closer to him and him closer to you. Amen? So we're excited to see what's going to happen as we study uh, this book because we start chapter 1 next week. And so with that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so excited to see what you have for us in this amazing book. We love that it actually uh, has prophecy in it, and it has, you know, just interesting facts and, and just things that we can glean from and apply to our own lives, even though this is a book that was written like, you know, 2,500 years ago, something like that. And so, Lord... Would you help us to begin to apply this already to our lives so that we can uh, begin that uh, restoration process and be restored to you? And we ask us in your name, Jesus. Amen.